Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Colossians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, we'd like to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and giving us the opportunity to start a new life, spiritual life, and a new purpose on planet Earth for all who believe in the one and only Son of God. Amen. We're grateful and thankful for everyone here that serves in the ministry to keep it going. Thank you very much. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service? And we will start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us this beautiful opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather together to learn more and more about you, Lord, and to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord. And place your name above all names, Lord. Even our own, as all of us fight to put you first in our lives, Lord, help us to crucify our flesh each and every day, Lord, and become closer to you and more and more like your Son, the Lord Jesus, as we read your word and apply it to our lives, Father. Help us, Lord, to always understand that you love us unconditionally. Help us to love ourselves unconditionally and not put conditions on our relationships with others, Lord, but help us love others and the unbelieving world also, Father. We pray for our nation, that you protect it, keep your healing hand over our nation, Lord, for the sake of your believers, Lord, and I pray for all the, the Ukraine and all the nations that are going under war, Lord, that you speak to their hearts for peace, Lord, so we don't have to fight, Lord. And let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Father, and not our flesh, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. All right, we're going to stand, Brittany's going to come up and sing, we're going to get started.
Thanks, Brett. That was awesome. How's everybody doing tonight? All right? Weather in the storm, a little snow. It's only for a little while. It's not going to stick. It's going to be okay. A couple more weeks, we'll be out of this. Spring is in the air, right? Yeah. Amen for that. Thank God for the seasons, right? It gives you something to look forward to. You know? The gloomy winter, and you just wake up a little bit and say, you smell it in the air. The spring's coming. You can see it. Things are starting to turn green again. It's cool. Awesome. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start there tonight as we get into our study of Colossians. It's a great study, great book. So much here. She's got us in verse 10. We're going to back up a little bit. Verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Amen for that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. How about a big amen for that, right? All right. Look at verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles, which is us, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law. With all its, com with its commandments and regulations, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating him in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Big amen there, right? He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. A temple for the Lord. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. One body, many parts. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. See, now we understand the apostles 
in the prophets were foundational. They are no longer operational. A lot of churches still say there's apostles and prophets. They're no longer operational. Those are foundational gifts of the Holy Spirit from the beginning till the New Testament was complete. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God's spirit lives inside of us. We're all together united in Christ. So now you know, if anybody tells you that there's still apostles and prophets, get away from them because they're not from God. Okay, those are foundational gifts. They're no longer operating. Amen? So that's why we know the Bible. We read the Bible and understand it so we don't get tripped up with stuff like that. All right, let's go to the book of Colossians. We're going to continue in chapter 1. I believe we ended in verse 23 last week. I'm going to just introduce it a little bit again. The city of Colossae, okay? Cities grow as they develop commercial centers that provide jobs for their residents, okay? The ancient city of Colossae was built on a major trade route through the Lycus River Valley in the Roman province of Asia Minor in the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey, okay? There, the Colossians manufactured a beautiful dark red wool cloth, Colosseum, for which the city became famous. But Colossae's importance as a business center diminished significantly around 100 B.C. when the neighboring city of Laodicea was founded as an active and commercially aggressive competitor. The two towns along with neighboring Heropolis were destroyed by earthquakes in A.D. 17 in the reign of Tiberius, okay, and again in 60 A.D. in the reign of Nero. Rebuilt after each earthquake, Colossae never regained its early prominence, and by 400, the city no longer existed. All right, the Colossian church. The Apostle Paul had spent two years planting a church in Ephesus, and in Acts 19.10, we learn that, the radiating, that radiating from that center, all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Whether Paul himself fanned out in missionary activity throughout the province, or whether some of his converts did, a church was planted in Colossae. It is likely that Epaphras founded the Colossian church in Colossians 1.7, and from 1.21 we assume that the church was composed mainly of Gentiles. Okay? Philemon was a citizen of Colossae and an upright leader in that church. Okay? He also was a slaveholder whose slave Onesimus had escaped and had later encountered the Apostle Paul and had responded to the gospel message about Jesus. He got saved. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul addresses how our relationship to God through Jesus Christ affects us in the workplace. Okay? Specifically, he writes about how slaves are to do their work for their masters and our masters are to treat their slaves the short personal letter to Philemon extends our understanding of Paul's commands in Colossians 4.1. Okay? And the purpose of the letter, the letters in the Colossians and the Philemon have believed to have been written by Paul from prison, sometimes circa 60 to 62. At that time, Nero was the cruel and insane emperor of the Roman Empire, okay, who could ignore the claims of Paul's Roman citizenship. From prison, Paul had heard that the Colossian Christians, who had at one time been strong in their faith, were now vulnerable to deception about the faith. He wrote to refute each of the theological errors 
the Colossians were tempted to embrace. The letters, however, take readers far beyond these issues of deception. Paul cared deeply that all of his readers today, as well as the Colossians 2,000 years ago, understood the context of their lives within God's story and what it looks like in their relationships on the job. How about a big amen for that? All right, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to back up. We're going to keep the context. We're going to go in verse. Yeah, Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. As a matter of fact, we'll go to verse 20 and come down. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How did he do that? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. Why were we God's enemies? Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful line right here. As a result of what he did for you, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't see our sins anymore. He sees us perfect every day. And look at us today, right? People are miserable and grumpy and always looking at the flesh. Just keep going. God says, I don't see that anymore. Why are you so miserable? Why aren't you, why isn't there no joy in your heart as a Christian? Why do you keep, under, don't you understand that God doesn't see that anymore in you? Why do you keep beating yourself up? Why do you keep beating other Christians up when we know that we've all been forgiven? Amen? We've got to keep remembering that. Now look what it says in verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. As a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. In verse 23, this is the big one. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Okay, in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, in the Colossian church, there were several misconceptions about Christ, okay, that Paul directly refuted. Okay, one, believing that matter is evil, false teachers argued that God would not have come to earth as a true human being in bodily form. Paul stated that Christ is the image, the exact likeness of God, and is himself God, and yet he died on the cross as a human being. Two, they believed that God did not create the world because he would not have created evil. Well, when God created the world, there was nothing evil in the world when he created it. Paul proclaimed that Jesus Christ was also God in the flesh, is the creator of both heaven and earth. Three, they said that Christ was not the unique son of God, but rather one of the many intermediaries between God and people. Okay? But Paul explained that Christ existed before anything else and is the firstborn of those resurrected. The fourth thing, they refused to see Christ as the source of salvation, insisting that people could find God only through special and secret knowledge. In contrast, Paul openly proclaimed the way of salvation to be through Christ alone. Okay, Paul continued to bring the argument back to Christ. When we share the good news, we too must keep the focus on Jesus Christ. Amen?
The way to be, listen, okay, now listen up here. The way to be free from sin, okay, is to trust Jesus Christ to take it away. Okay? We must stand firmly in the truth of the good news, putting our confidence in Jesus alone to forgive our sins, to make us right with God, and to empower us to live the way he desires. Okay? When a judging court of law declares the defendant not guilty, the person is acquitted of all accusations or charges. Legally, it is as if he had never been accused, okay? When God forgives our sins, remember now, our record is wiped clean. From his perspective, it is though we had never sinned. God's solution is available to you. No matter what you have done or what you have been like, God's forgiveness is for you. Thank Jesus, right? God's forgiveness is for all of us. Listen, is all of us perfect today? God's forgiveness is for all of us. He forgives us of everything. I'm just so grateful that I understand his unconditional love. Do you understand his unconditional love? Because without understanding that, we're always going to be what? Miserable, jealous, hateful, bitter. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Those are the things that are developed when we understand that God loves us unconditional. Other than that, we're going to put conditions on our own feelings and emotions. Amen? Look at verse 24. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for, the, for his body, the church. All right, in verse 24, Paul's statement, I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church, may mean that suffering is unavoidable in bringing the good news of Christ to the world. Okay, you have to understand that when we suffer, when we suffer, Christ feels it with us. But this suffering can be endured joyfully because it changes lives and brings people into the kingdom. How about a big amen for that? We suffer for him. For more about how Paul could rejoice despite his suffering, we could always look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Okay, look at verse 25. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Everybody want to hear a secret? Want to hear a secret, everybody? Christ lives in you. <laughs> This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. Okay, the false teachers in the Colossian church believed that spiritual perfection was a secret and hidden plan, okay, that only a few privileged people could discover. Their secret plan was meant to be exclusive. Paul said that he was proclaiming the entire message of God, not just a part of the plan. He also calls God's plan a message kept secret for centuries and generations past. Not in the sense that only a few would understand, but because it was hidden until Christ came. We get this? Through Christ, it was made open to all. God's secret plan is, Christ lives in you. God planned to have his son, Jesus Christ, live in the hearts of all who believe in him. Even Gentiles like the Colossians. Do you know Christ? He is not hidden if you will come to him. So what's the secret? He lives in us. 
You know, every day you get up, Jesus lives in you, and he wants to go ahead of you. He wants to live his life through you. The problem most Christians do is try to live the Christian life in the flesh. When we understand that Jesus wants to live his life through us, and we become the willing vessels, like, like I have to stay home, you have to stay home, and let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And that's where spiritual growth comes in. And how many of us uh, have a work in progress in that area? Thank you, Jesus, right? All of us get up. We, our plans are good. We want to follow the Lord. But what happens? Flesh. Many of you get in your car. Many of you get out the door. So the devil is always picking at us, making us get in our flesh, right? I know he does it for me. He's always on me. The devil is always on me. Always wants me to react instead of just stay calm and not react. Like Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't react. You see, in all the situations, people persecute and have all kinds of problems. What did Jesus say? Nothing. Do we have that power? Yes, we do. Look at verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationships to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I can relate to Paul 100% on that one. Because let me tell you something. You, work, you struggle and work so hard to make sure that the message is clear and people can understand it. You struggle because the devil always tries to cloud our minds and make scrambled eggs out of it. And that's what we got to be careful here. Okay, in verse 28 and 29, the word perfect means mature or complete, not flawless. Thank God. A lot of us are perfectionists, right? We think we come to the Lord, we want to serve Him, we take our perfectionism into our Christian life and want everything to be perfect when we do it, and then when we fall short, we what? Beat ourselves up and say, I should have known better, I should have did better. Perfection means mature, understanding. Actually, it understands that when we understand that we're not perfect. Perfect maturity is understanding that we're not perfect and we're fallible and one day when we go home to be with him, then we're going to be perfect. Sinless. New resurrected bodies. Until we get a new resurrected body, don't you think for one minute that you're going to be completely sinless now, kids? It's impossible. Because we, we have the sin of Adam in our, DNA, in our DNA structure. So we have to understand that. So why do we beat ourselves up? And why do we keep beating up other Christians? Demanding perfection out of them. When we can't even be perfect. What a big amen for that, right? You can breathe and say, look, I need some room here. Give me a chance to grow. Give me some grace. How many of us need a lot of room to grow? Come on now. But why don't we give others that room? Especially a lot of other people don't have the knowledge we have because the word of God is not being taught properly in churches. So you have a lot of immature believers out there. And, and so we have to watch. Show them unconditional love, even when they walk through the door here, right? Because they don't have what we have. We've been studying the Bible and reading it word for word for years. All they've been getting is what? Rituals and a couple of sermons here and there. So they don't really have a relationship with the Lord yet. So we have to what? Be the strength for them and build them up. What a big amen for that. 
All right, the word perfect means mature, not flawless. Paul wanted to see each believer mature spiritually, just like I do. Like Paul, we must work wholeheartedly like an athlete, but we should not strive in our own strength alone. Thank you, Lord. We have the power of God's Spirit working in us. We can learn and grow daily, motivated by love and not fear or pride, knowing that God gives the energy to become mature. Okay? Christ's message is for everyone. So everywhere Paul and Timothy went, they brought the good news to all who would listen. An effective, an effective presentation of the good news includes warning and teaching. Okay? The warning is that without Christ, people are doomed to eternal separation from God. That's the truth. Okay? The teaching is, is that salvation is available through faith in Christ. As Christ works in you, tell others about him, warning and teaching them in love. Who do you know who needs to hear this message? Get up tomorrow morning. Look at all the people around you who needs to hear the message that we hear. And if you can't, if you can't tell them about Jesus, what's the next best thing? You have to be the message. And that's what people get attracted to. Say, wow, you handled that really well. You didn't flip out like everybody else does. But if you're still flipping out, you ain't gonna be able to, you ain't gonna be able to help them, right? All right, let's begin chapter two. Let's go into chapter two tonight. As we're moving along in Colossians. This is a great book. All right. Verse one of Colossians chapter two. Is everybody with me so far here? Wake up, church. Come on, wake up. Wake up. Okay, it's all good. Verse 1. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. All right, in verse 1, Laodicea, okay, was located a few miles northwest of Colossae. Like the church at Colossae, the Laodicean church was probably founded by one of Paul's converts while Paul was staying in Ephesus. Like it tells us in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. The city was a wealthy center of trade and commerce, but later Christ would criticize the believers at Laodicea for their lukewarm commitment in Revelation 3, 14 to 22. The fact that Paul wanted this letter to be passed on to the Laodicean church indicates that false teaching may have spread there as well. Paul was counting on ties of love to bring the churches together, to stand against this heresy, and to encourage each other to remain true to God's plan of salvation in Christ. Our churches should be encouraging, unified communities committed to carrying out Christ's work. And I'll tell you what, you don't see that today. You see churches bashing other churches. Somebody comes in the door, oh, come to our church. That church doesn't teach you the right stuff. Come to our church. And let the, instead of letting the Holy Spirit do it, we never try to take anybody out of wherever they are. But if they walk through the door, obviously God's sending them here. So we're not going to tell them, oh, don't go there, come here. You come to your own conclusion. That's when people come through the door. If they want to stay, they'll stay. If they want to go, they're going to go. So we certainly give them the liberty to do so. Because a lot of churches really don't really teach the Bible. They teach a lot of false stuff, a lot of crazy stuff. And we're going to start seeing a lot of new people walking through them doors as we grow here. Because people are searching truth now. Because there's a lot of deception out there. Even Christians, they're just sick of hearing the lies. Because they're saying, I'm a Christian. Why am I miserable? Why am I? There's something missing. 
we just had somebody, uh, a couple come in, said that they came here, they, they were in a church for 20 uh, something years. They said we, there was something missing, so we had to go somewhere else. So they found a way here. They said there was something missing there. 20 years! But the Lord led them over here. I mean, you know what was missing, right? The Word of God. That's what's missing. People were starving for the Word of God, they weren't getting what they needed. So, guess what? We're going to give them what they need. All right, look at verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together, how? By strong ties of love. And, as a matter of fact, they said that they felt so welcome here. So I'm really, really glad that everybody showed love to them. Because they, that's what they look for. That's exactly what, that's the message that I got. They said they, they felt really welcome. The Holy Spirit was in the house. That's what they said. So, that's how important it is to present yourself in a way to welcome everybody. It's all, in, it's all in how we talk and how we present ourselves. Now look what it says. I want them to have, look at, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now when it says in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom, in what? What are they talking about? In his word. Not in him, himself, in the word. He is the word. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Okay, in verse 4, Christian faith provides a growth track into knowledge of the truth. Okay, but along the way, how do we guard against being deceived by lies that are masquerading as well-crafted arguments? Remember, Paul says, even the devil comes as an angel of light. The only way that we can be sure is through the Word of God. That's why we always have to go to the Word of God. If your growth track is too narrow, you become thick-headed and insular. No one can teach you a thing. Okay, before long, you can't teach anyone around you, for no one is listening. All right? You are isolated. Love disappears from your life. If your track is too wide and every idea is an exciting new possibility, you'll waste a lot of time just keeping on track and risk some dangerous detours. The key is centering on Christ and grounding yourself in His Word. What's the key? Centering yourself on Christ and grounding yourself in His Word. Learn daily about the Savior. Study the Bible. Develop your theological spiritual knowledge. Stay humble and curious about the amazing complexity of the world God has made. Ask lots of questions about the assumptions behind ideas new to you. Press toward wisdom. Pray for understanding. God has given us minds for learning. Never quit using yours. Always stay open-minded. No matter how much, or how long, or how much you learn, always stay open-minded to listen what the Spirit is trying to say, and He uses people, places, and things to get the messages to us. When you stay hard-hearted or closed-minded, you become unteachable and what? Pharisaical. That's why Jesus said, unless you come like a kid, you're never going to get into the kingdom. You have to stay that way, though. You're mature, but you have to stay like a kid, which is always teachable and learning and understanding. Okay, verse 5. For though I am far away from you, because remember Paul was writing this. Paul was, listen, Paul was writing these messages in jail. 
Just imagine. Now, how many of us get mad at God when we don't get our way or something goes wrong? Imagine Paul serving the Lord wholeheartedly and he's thrown in prison, okay? They're ready to kill him. And what is he doing? He's still doing God's will in prison, doing penning in the epistles. As a matter of fact, God had to put him there because that's where he could do it the best. There was no distractions. Right? When you're in prison, you've got plenty of time, right? Plenty of time on your hands. So God put him in prison for that reason so he can pen these epistles in and hear the voice of God. Now look what it says. Far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice that you are living as you should. You see what he's saying here? That you're living as you should. And that, and as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Freedom from rules and a new life in Christ. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him, right? You get saved. It says now you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. What is your root? Let your roots grow down into what? The word of God. And let your lives be built on him, right? Christ the solid rock I stand, all the ground is sinking stand. We have to be built, our lives have to be now built on the word of God. That's why we have to walk, unlearn all that and learn all this now. And all of our thoughts, actions, and deeds come from the word of God. That's what's, that's what's guiding our thoughts now. Let your life be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Because when your mind is circulating on God and you're in his will, you're thankful in all circumstances because you're doing the right thing because you're doing things God's way. You have the mind of Christ, not the mind of the flesh. The mind of the flesh always messes up. The mind of Christ is always doing things right. Because you're doing things God's way, not your way. So when the word of God is circulating through your mind in all the circumstances in life, when you get up in the morning, when you go to Dunkin' Donuts, when you get home with your family, right, with your husband and your wife, it says love them deeply, never treat your wife harshly, go to work for your master as you're going to work for Jesus. Every day you get up, if that's circulating in your mind, you will have a blessed day. Because now you're working for Jesus, you're loving unconditionally, you're doing the will of God, and guess what? The result is very good from that. Just imagine if you got up every day and treated everybody like Jesus, and how at the end of the day you would be. You wouldn't have one problem at all. What stops us? The flesh. Right? We want to do that, though, right? That's, where, that's the goal, to become like him. And guess what? The test is out, you get a test every day. Thank God he gives us a test every day, right? Some days we pass. Some days we need some brushing up. I mean, I go to, I, every day, I, my whole 13-mile journey to work is, I'm going to work for you today, Lord. Please, soften my heart. Take the bitterness out of my heart and fill it with your love. Don't let me hold anybody accountable. Don't let me, just let me treat everybody like you today. I have to actually ask him to do, I have to, I have to actually do that. I have to make a, a literal statement like that, or else I can't, it doesn't work. You have to really tune into this and say, all right, Lord, your will be done today, not mine. And then watch out, because when his will is not your will, it's going to be a lot different. People are going to come up against you. People are going to be impatient with you. You're going to get tested, and you're going to put through the, the, um, the fire so he can bring out the gold, the gold in us. That's what he's doing. He's burning out the impurities. And when we fail and we get miserable and come back to people, we only sit ourselves back. God loves you. He's not going to hold you accountable. You get miserable because you know that you should have did what God wanted you to do and you opened your mouth instead. 
instead of keeping quiet. Then at the end of the day, you're saying, oh, man, I just can't get it right. right? Open mouth and shirt foot. Right? Instead of being like Jesus and saying, if I, you know, my mother told me this a long time ago, and I wish I could just stick with it. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And guess what? The worst thing is to be a sarcastic person. Oh, people can't stand sarcasm. Let me tell you something. When you're sarcastic to someone, you can never get that, you can never get them to think well of you. Because you're just full of criticism and sarcasm. Because a lot of people try to get it in with a smile, you know? That sarcasm with a smile. And let me tell you something. You're gonna have to, God's gonna discipline you for that because that is not godly at all. That is right from the devil when we're sarcastic. And that's who's, when we're sarcastic to people, guess who's coming out of you? The devil's coming out of you. And then you're telling everybody you're a Christian. And they're saying, what a bunch of baloney. So we're supposed to what? Build each other up, not tear each other down. All of us are guilty of that. That wasn't rehearsed. I don't know the spirit just led me to that one. You know how we are. Even if you don't say it, it's in your heart. You know what I mean? Even if, even if you don't, you know, it's good if you don't say it because it's better than when you say it because now, you know, somebody's going to, you're going to hurt somebody. But if you don't say it, God still holds you accountable. You still want to be. You know, that's a bunch of want to be, you know? I guess we all need a lot of room to grow, don't we? That's why we ought to just shut up. Shut up when we start picking on other people, right? Who am I to talk? I'm worse than they are. <laughs> I know, i got to put two feet in my mouth, not one. But see, the, the beauty of it is we understand that there's a struggle. In other words, like before we didn't struggle, we just did it. Now we don't want to do it. It's ugly. We, we hate it. You know, that's how you know the Holy Spirit's working in you. But then you can't keep using that as an excuse either. Then when are you going to get this? Hello? Shut up. Talk nice. Treat others the golden rule. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. Now, would you want somebody to be sarcastic to you when you're doing something? No. So guess what? Don't be sarcastic to them. Because if you are, somebody's going to, God's going to show you what it feels like when somebody's sarcastic, and they're going to be sarcastic to you. And you're not going to like it. And you're going to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right? That's how God does. That's what, that's what God says. If you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. So he's going to let you feel the heaviness of unforgiveness. Only God, listen, only God can work in our hearts. He's the one who sends the torment. Listen, don't blame the devil. God sends the tormentor into your spirit, into your soul for a reason. Because something is not right. And he wants you to see what it is. He wants you to examine your heart to see what it is. And until you do, the tormentor stays with you. And you get torment all the time. Because you're not looking inward. You're looking at everybody else as the problem. Until he said, no, I'm going to torment you until you see that you're the problem. And then you get peace after that. After you finally repent and say, Lord, yeah, it is me. I've been blaming other people way too long. Thank you. And then you have some peace. And you can actually breathe. 
Okay, now look what it says in verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your life be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Okay, in verse 6 and 7, receiving Christ as Lord of your life is the beginning of a life with Christ. But you must continue to follow his leadership by being rooted, built up, and strengthened in the faith. Okay? Christ wants to guide you and help you with your daily problems. Can you, you can live for Christ by one, committing your life and submitting your will to him. Romans 12, 1, 2. Two, seeking to learn from him his life and his teachings, as it tells us in Colossians 3.16. And three, recognizing the Holy Spirit's power that's in you. Acts 1.8, Galatians 5.22. Okay, in verse 7, Paul uses the illustration of our being rooted in Christ, just as plants draw nourishment from the soil through their roots, so we draw our life-giving strength from Christ the Word. How about an amen for that? The more we draw our strength from him or his word and his word, the less we will be fooled by those who falsely claim to have life's answers. If Christ is our strength, we will be free from human regulations. Verse 8. Here we go. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the spiritual powers or spiritual principles of this world rather than from Christ. There it is again. Let me say that again. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers or the spiritual principles of this world rather than from Christ or rather from the, than from the Word. Paul writes against any philosophy, verse 8. Listen to what he does, says here now. He writes against any philosophy of life based only on human ideas and experiences. Okay? Paul himself was a gifted philosopher, so he is not condemning philosophy. He is condemning teaching that credits humanity, not Christ. Okay? With being the answer to life's problems. A lot of people provide a lot of counseling and they use the principles of the Bible and they want to take the credit for it. That's, that, that's exactly what you see. The principles of the Bible and people teach it as it's their, their philosophy. And it's the Bible. It's nothing to do with them. And they use the words of God to trick people. That approach, listen, with the answers to life's problems, that approach becomes a false religion. Okay? There are many man-made approaches to life's problems that totally disregard God. Right? A lot, of, a lot of the principles of the Bible are used in all kinds of therapy. But guess who's left out of it? God and Jesus. To resist heresy, you must use your mind, keep your eyes on Christ, and study God's word. Why would anybody want to go that's a Christian that they're going to teach you in their own words, what the Word of God teaches us. You see? We have to understand, we don't want human teaching. We want the Word of God because it's the words of God that minister to us and teach us, not somebody twisting the words. That's what they do. They twist the words and philosophies, saying that they have these principles that they learned, but they're God's principles of life. And they never bring you to Jesus, they bring you to their agenda, which is who? The devil. 
But it sounds good. Oh, I feel so much better today. You, you feel so much better today because that was God's word that went in you, but you just didn't recognize it. That's why we get, keep our mind on this. There's only one counselor. There's only one counselor. His name is Jesus. If somebody wants counseling, that talks with Christians saying, there's a lot of counseling. We get counseling at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We get counseling on Monday night at 7 o'clock. We get counseling on Wednesday at 7. Plenty of counseling. And guess what? It don't cost you a dime. You know how much they get for counseling? I think they get like ridiculous amounts of money, like $200 an hour. And people pay it to get the same stuff we're giving for free. Because what? They don't want to believe in God. They don't want to submit to Him. And that's just what the devil does, right? He sets up a utopia here, Christless society. That's just what they're trying to do. Set up a world kingdom without Christ. Saying, we have the solution to life's problems. And then you say, well, if you have a solution to life's problems, and I look the way life is right now, it is a mess. You call that a solution? <laughs> There's only one solution. It's Jesus. And until he comes back to set things straight, it ain't going to get any better out there. As a matter of fact, you better stop loving your brothers and sisters here because this is going to be like your only reprieve pretty soon. That's how bad it's going to get for us. Everything that we think is right is going to be wrong in the world's eyes. And everything that the world thinks is right is going to be wrong in our eyes. We're going to want to have nothing to do with it. That's how dark it's going to get out there. It's already like that, right? Wrong is right. Right is wrong. All right, look at verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human form, or in him dwells all the completeness of the Godhead bodily. Again, Paul asserts Christ's deity. Here it is right there. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So we just talk, mentioned Christ's deity, right? That all, listen, it says, it means that all of God was in Christ in the human body. When we have Christ, we have everything we need for salvation and right living. When we have that word of God, that's owner's manual right there. Like I said, that's the owner's manual. We have everything we need for right living. You don't need a library. That's all you need is that book right there. That'll solve every, every problem in your life is in that. Verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. See, we're complete. Who is the head over every ruler and authority. Okay, look in verse 10, look around you. People are searching for something to give their lives a boost. Few people seem content within themselves, okay? A strange and often hard to identify in a vacuum gives most people an uneasy sense of incompleteness. Christ fills that vacuum. That's why then people were missing something, because they weren't getting Christ. They weren't getting the Word of God to fill that vacuum. When you know Jesus Christ, you don't need to seek God by means of other religions, cults, or unbiblical philosophies as the Colossians were doing. Okay, Christ alone holds the answers to the true meaning of life because he is life. Christ is the unique source of knowledge and power for the Christian life. No Christians need anything in addition to what Christ has provided to be saved. Some days may not feel like it, but in Jesus, the vacuum is gone. Okay, the full power and presence of God have taken up residence in your mind and heart. 
You are a new person, okay? Equipped for life and satisfied in God. Take some risks, God will guide you. Give more generously, God will supply. Love more freely, God will energize you. Say, can do more often, God will amaze you. I'm going to need men for that. All right, look at verse 11. This is an awesome, Colossians is an awesome book. I keep reading it over and over again because it helps me understand the fullness of salvation. It's unbelievable. It gives me so much peace in my heart because God sees me as perfect. I get up tomorrow morning, God sees me as perfect. You know what I say? Let me see everybody else that way too. Then you can be like Jesus. The next door neighbor, people who park, everybody. Because those are the people that need to get... The only way that that's ever going to change is if Jesus gets inside of them. You can give them tickets, you can do this, do that. That doesn't change anything. You know what changes them? Jesus. There's the only one that will ever change anybody from doing the wrong thing. How about a big amen for that? Look at verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. Listen to this one. The cutting away of your sinful nature. When you cut something, just think about going into surgery. They cut something out of you. If they don't give you anesthesia, just imagine them cutting it away. That's why our sin, cutting away our sinful nature is so painful. Because the only anesthesia is trusting God. So if you don't trust God, right, and he's cutting away your sinful nature, it's going to be really painful. But if you trust God, the anesthesia is Jesus, you won't feel the pain. You get it? He's the anesthesia of cutting away your sinful nature. <clears throat> You've got to understand how bad it is first. When you understand how bad your sinful nature is, you want to give God the scalpel. Say, yeah, do it. But when you think there's something good in you, you don't want it to get cut away because you've got pride in you. The cutting away of the body of the flesh. Okay, in verse 11, Jewish males were circumcised as a sign of the Jews' covenant with God. Remember in Genesis 17, 9 to 14. With the death of Christ, circumcision was no longer necessary. So now our commitment to God is written on our hearts, not our bodies. Big amen there. Christ sets us free from our evil desires by a spiritual operation, not a bodily one. God removes the old nature and gives us a new nature. You have 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 a new nature. You do, you do. God gives us a new nature. Now, whether you want to use it or not is up to who? You. You have a choice whether you want to use a new nature or not or the old sin nature. You know which one's operating, right? When you're yelling and complaining and screaming at somebody, that's your sin nature. Your new nature is what? Peaceful, loving, gentle, patient, kind, long-suffering. Hey, long-suffering. Putting up with your spouse over the long haul. <laughs> Putting up with your kids over the long haul. Long suffering. Putting up with anybody for the long haul. When somebody befriends you as a Christian, you have to be patient with them for over the long haul. Lori does that when she goes and meets with some of the people. She's like, she keeps going and going and going and going and going. And they're like, 
not responding, but she keeps going and going and going and going and going, showing the love of Jesus, because that's what it takes. It takes long suffering. One day, what's going to happen? It's going to click. If you keep working with them, it's going to click and they're going to be here. You never give up. Never give up. And just keep going and keep loving and keep forgiving and keep understanding. God's the one that hits the switch like he hit on us. Remember one day he woke up. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I'm in the Bible. Slip, the switch came on. Here you are in church. When you can be doing a lot of other things. Amen? So give people a chance. All right, we're going to close there for now. We'll pick up in verse 12. David, you want to come up and close us? But Lord, thank you for a great message tonight. Lord, I pray that you please keep us in the faith, keep us strong, help us to persevere, even during the troubling times, Lord. Just keep us patient with ourselves, patient with others, patient with you, Lord, especially, because you work from generation to generation. You take your time with us, Lord, and that's just something that, you know, we don't understand in our flesh. Just help us get the understanding, help us understand love and you know, like I said in the beginning of my prayer, just, just help us stay faithful, Lord. Yes, Lord. Keep, keep us in the Word. Keep us strong. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, David.